Hey, this is Damian Blankensaw with The Quantified Body. This is the show where we look at cutting edge tools and tactics to improve our body's health, performance, and longevity. And we do this with a quantified perspective, always looking for data such as biomarkers for real evidence. We have guests that range from academic researchers and experts in the biomarkers, the tools, and the tactics to real life experimenters who have done their own biohacking experiments and tracked biomarkers to show their results. And today we're leaning on that second part, the experimenters, the people actually in the trenches doing stuff. We're looking at wearable devices. That's watches, shirts, bracelets, necklaces, and on and on, anything you can put on your body. And there's more and more of these devices coming out and being used to track different aspects of our biology, of our health, of our fitness, and so on. And this is looking like a really big market. A lot of consumers, a lot of people like you like this stuff. In a recent, very bullish Morgan Stanley blue paper, there's an investment bank's analyst looking at the market for wearables. They said the wearables are to become the fastest ramping technology device. And they're looking at 2015 to be 70 million wearable shipments, 70 million wearable devices going out there with a market value of $1.6 trillion. That's a big market and it's a big opportunity and there's a lot of companies jumping on that, just like Apple with its recent Apple Watch release. So wearables are gonna be an ongoing thing that we look at on this show. A question we'll come back to is, what can we actually do with the data that these wearables are tracking? Which devices are useful and where can we actually get some benefit out of them beyond having more dashboards and data to look at? Having more data on our bodies, this revolution is coming and it's coming fast. We're going to be increasingly surrounded by it. So it's our job to make sure that it's not just contributing to our potential to be distracted, potentially just taking us backwards rather than forwards, but it actually helps us to improve and do more with our lives. And that's what we're gonna keep coming back to on this show. Today's guest is Troy Angrignon. When I first came across Troy, it was via one of his blog posts and I knew as soon as I'd seen it that I'd found a like-minded soul. Troy spends a lot of his time wrapped up in several of the latest wearables while he's doing a range of relatively extreme athletics and feats, including military-style training like that done by SealFit. Then he compares them all, he maps them all out into big consultant-like diagrams trying to simplify and make it more easily understood for everyone else. And it's really comprehensive stuff. One of the first diagrams I saw of his basically mapped out the whole wearables market and gave you a view, a glimpse of what was going on. He's also extremely passionate and knowledgeable about the latest tech, and he's got a lot of opinions on it. So it's really awesome to have him on the show. To get a breakdown of today's show, the list of all the wearables we talk about, the biomarkers, and so on, in easily digestible format, go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash episodes and pick out the episode there. If you want all of that in your email inbox, go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash newsletter, put your email in there and it will arrive magically every week in your inbox. The Quantified Body. New technologies are bringing us more and better data on our bodies every day. This data promises to help us make better decisions for better health, higher performance, less disease and greater longevity. In The Quantified Body, we explore this promise to find out where it is creating real world results improving bodies and improving lives. Troy, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hey, Damien. Thanks. Great to be here. So you have the absolute most comprehensive 
review of uh, wearable technologies, wearable devices I've ever seen. It looks like something from my consulting background years where you know, I was paid big money to create those kind of things. So when I saw it, I was like, yeah, I definitely have to get this guy on the show. He's put so much time and effort to looking at it from like a user, user, what people actually need and the functionality out there. How did you get into this? Where, where did your interest in wearable devices start from? I've always been interested in them. I've always kind of looked in the very early days at running watches, all the sport watches in the early days, the Suntos and the Garmins and things like that. And even in the early incarnations, you could see some kind of cool things that were happening. So they, they'd have uh, interesting features in them. Like uh, you would say, you, you know, you had, you have to recover four hours after this workout and they'd think, Oh, wow, that's really cool. How do they figure that out? So I kind of got interested in, you know, some of the early sport watch stuff and really followed it through that. Um, you know, I'm a nerd uh, in kind of a geek in general. Anyway, I like data, been involved in data based industries and love doing sports. So it's, it really came from the probably the sport watch side of things in the early days. Great, great. So how, how long have you been doing this? Is, I mean, because the sport watch has been around quite a while now. They have, right? It's probably 10 plus years. And then I really got into, I'd say what we know is this current generation of wearables or nearables, if you want to use that phrase, really about four years ago, uh, when I started looking at sleep issues, I was having sleep issues from working on a startup and getting no sleep and all those things. And so I started looking at better sleep practices, a lot of stuff that you and I both went through kind of in the biohacking space. And uh, looking at sleep practices as well as tools. So I started to look at a lot of the tools. And from there, that was kind of the beginning. I think you were probably very aware of it at the same time. The sleep tools were happening and the activity trackers were starting to come out and things like that. That was probably, what, 2011, 2010. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. What's well, so the sleep and activity are the big areas? It's interesting. Like, have you got a lot of data from over 10 years, like you've collected from all of these watches and things? Or No, especially in the early days, right? I mean, a lot of it, it's hard to get the data off or it just kind of went off into space. You know, you could look at it on some desktop application or something. So, no, I really, I think my my largest contiguous data set is probably three years. I was just looking at it the other day, actually, uh, all my workouts probably for the last three years, you know, and it's spotty. There are sections where things didn't track or are lost data or whatever else, but probably the last three years has been pretty rigorous. Right. I think you're probably kind of pretty much on top of what's been actionable, what's been most useful for you over that time. And so how have you seen the curve of utility go up for you personally? Because obviously you've been testing all these different devices and you know, it's been like 10 plus years in the beginning. Was it useful or is it just kind of like, oh, I'm trying to get some value out of this and it's getting a little bit, but not so much. Like, how do you scale just like a one to 10? How's it changed over the last 10 plus years? Yeah, well, I think two things have changed, right? There's how have I changed my own approach to thinking about the data. And so I've kind of gone through my own levels of maturity and thinking about it. And then the technology, of course, is changing. And you and I talked about this before, where I kind of do think in that X and Y. And I think that the the market has evolved. We've gone from just sport watches to now we've got fitness trackers, activity trackers, and I can get into definitions of those things. Uh, smart watches, some of the fashion companies, right? They're with traditional fashion watches are now getting kind of smart watches. And so you're getting this kind of bigger fragmentation and, and more features uh, being developed at the same time as what I want out of the data has definitely changed and matured and, and mutated over time. So it's been a, definitely a change in both ways. Great, great, thanks. And who do you see who's getting real value from the wearable tech on the market today? 
maybe you could take yourself as an example. Like, what are you getting real value out of today? And who else do you see getting real value out of these wearable tech today? Uh, that's a tough question. I think a lot of different people of different skill sets can get value. Uh, and it really comes down to what are they trying to do? So I think maybe it'll help set the stage probably for the rest of the call and give us a framework. Why don't we talk through what uh, we discussed the other day? But I, I tend to think of user types as kind of a zero to five in a very gross coarse way, right? So a zero would say, I don't care about data. I'm not going to use any of these tools. I'm just going to go run. I want to just feel the wind in my hair and get outside where a one would start to ask for some data. Like, I just want, I just want to watch that shows me the time. Like, how long did I run? How far did I run? Maybe something basic. A two would say, well, I want, to, I want that, but I want a little bit more data. Give me a few more fields. And a three really starts to say, well, I want to know my time, my splits, my cadence, my running dynamics, my vertical oscillation. They start to get pretty technical in terms of what they're looking for. And the fours, they're really looking for that, but they want it to be trusted. They want to know that the data that they're getting in those devices or applications truly is actually legitimate data. Where the threes are okay, just give me the number and I'll kind of look at the number. Is it going up or going down? I don't really care if it's super accurate. And then the fives, you're really talking Olympic athletes at that point. You're talking people getting clinical grade data. And so if you think about the kind of the levels, and you can apply those levels to the level of athlete too, uh, you know, zero doing nothing, a one just starting, a two sort of semi-active, three quite active, four mm, pro-amateur kind of level, and five being kind of elite athlete. And so if you think about those levels and then you think about what they do, is this a, a wellness client who's just saying, hey, I just want to feel better, eat a little better, move a little more? Or are they kind of a fitness type person that's saying, well, I, I, I jog a bit, I run a bit, I cycle, I'm doing a couple of things, I dance, I do yoga, whatever. Or are they really starting to get into the endurance you know, space? So I do runs, I do marathons, I do um, you know, whatever, long distance cycling. And then all the way up kind of to, the, to what I call to the right on my, on my charts where you're getting into now super competitive endurance and ultra distance stuff. And ultimately, you get into the like the, the outdoor backcountry stuff where they're like, I'm going to go put my watch on and go 10 days into the backcountry. Like, that's a different animal, right? It's a different kind of an athlete. So I tend to think of it kind of an X by Y. And that's a long backstory to answer your question. But so I think that people from kind of the ones to the fives on the, the, the Y axis on the sort of the left side, and then everything from the sitting on the couch and just trying to get a little more active all the way out to the outdoor backcountry folks, there are pockets of people in there who are getting a lot of value. But I think it's less about them and less about their specific technology and more about the process. So are they clear on what they're trying to figure out? Have they chosen the right tool? Does the tool give them the data? And can they look at the data and have a feedback loop and say, okay, I got what I needed. I'm going to improve my running speed or I'm going to back off and train less hard because I'm overtrained or whatever else. So that's a really fuzzy way of saying some people are getting useful stuff out of it. And a lot of people are just looking at stuff and they don't know why. Right, right. And <laughs> what we were talking about is critical need uh, the other day, right? So you were talking about competitive athletes, right? Who want to shave off a few seconds off their times or, you know, whatever. This is like critical needs. And I guess these are the guys who would be using the fours and the fives that exist today. And what kind of devices out there are there that kind of provide that level of detail today, if there are any? 
Yeah, there are some great. So up in the competitive endurance space, I mean, I would look at these are folks who are doing pretty aggressive marathons, triathlons, cycling races, uh, multi-sport, even obstacle course racing, which, as you know, is pretty popular these days, Spartan racing and all those kinds of things. And it's less about those sports and more at the level at which they compete in them. So we're talking upper 50 percentile, upper 25 percentile folks um, who are out there. They're looking at their times. They're very aggressive about their times. So once you get into those environments, your use case is pretty tough for a device manufacturer. You could throw a Fitbit on these people. And I know a lot of my friends bought Jawbones or Fitbits or whatever sort of what I'd call an activity tracker, meaning something with a 3D accelerometer in it. And they last about a day, right? Because you get them wet, you cover them in mud, you get them in the ocean, whatever happens, they short out. So those kinds of users that are really competitive endurance athletes just need, they're hard on their toys. And so they really need devices and apps. In fact, they don't even like to carry their phones because they just trash them. So you're really looking at things like uh, Garmin 920XT is a great example in the triathlon space or the Phoenix, which is the new uh, Garmin has a Phoenix backcountry watch. Sunto has some excellent hardware, although their data is really hard to move around. So I'm not a big fan of them uh, for that reason. So, yeah, so there are definitely tools that work in that space. Great. And in the general, what do you see most people using today? Is it in the level one? going back down there and we were talking with uh, uh, Greg Welk who's done a study who does ongoing studies on the accuracy of these devices and we got into this discussion of how they're not accurate most of them to varying degrees that they're biased however they're roughly the same wrong every time so it's really you can check the relative <laughs> exactly. difference to they're what you did yesterday inaccurate. Yeah, they're consistently in one direction wrong or, or the other so we were talking yeah. about the usefulness of like, well, at least I know I, I had, there was more activity or I was, you know, faster than yesterday at the very least. How do you, is that how you look at that whole area right now? It's more of a relative difference you can use it for? Absolutely. And so I, and again, think of the, the ones to fives, kind of think of drawing a picture in your head of kind of the ones to five on the left side. And then really the, the bottom of the chart, the left to right is really kind of consumer wellness on the left and all the way through fitness, recreational endurance, competitive endurance, and outdoor and tactical on the right. And so I think your question really gets to who uses these, let's say, activity trackers, like job ones, Fitbits, whatever, these little things you can clip on. I don't like clip on ones because you just throw them in the wash and lose them and break them anyway. Um, but let's say the, the, the bands you can put on. And you, you've nailed it. They are not that accurate. But if you're a, a one, you don't really care. Uh, all you're looking for is, let's say, step data. And so did I move a little bit more than I did yesterday? Is it consistently telling me, capturing the, the step data? Is it good enough? And I've met so many people who say, oh, I got my first one and I love it because I used to do 2,000 steps and now I do 3,000 steps. And does it matter that it was 3,500 or 2,500? No, it's irrelevant. What they know is they have a feedback loop, which gives them some objective measure, and it's better than what they had before, which was nothing. So I think that there's still a lot of value there. There's a really interesting company, actually, I was looking at yesterday after you and I talked, uh, Viva Metrics, I think is the name, and I think they're in Montreal. I might have the city wrong, or Calgary. And they are, they've gone through and really done rigorous analysis on how inaccurate all these tools are, and they're making data correction tools. So they'll say, well, this thing is always 92% accurate. So we'll just take the data and we'll just up it by, you know, the requisite 8% or whatever to, That's interesting. to reality. 
So it's pretty cool, yeah. So they can actually... Yeah, yeah. They could be selling that to the companies who design the yes. devices. <laughs> yeah, business model, I don't know. So I think there's still a lot of value in just having some kind of indicator. Calories, I, I could go on a rant about calories for days. My, my, the short version is I think calories in, calories out is a dead model. But the, at a basic summary, whether it's steps or calories, is it a number that's higher or lower than it was yesterday? That's a great indicator for people who just didn't have awareness of that before. It's definitely kind of like how how serious you are about doing what you're doing. So if you take an example of sleep, because we were talking about this last time and we're both fans of sleep, obviously. Um, I was really interested in the basis watch uh, when they were bringing the, the sleep tracking out because I wanted to understand my deep sleep versus other areas of sleep. And I really just wanted to know, like make sure I was hitting my eight hours that I wanted and trying to push it up to nine for a while. I was pretty disappointed because it was saying I was asleep a lot of the time. And so I wasn't able to trust that data because you know, if I was sitting around watching TV or even working on my computer sometimes, it would be like, yeah, you were asleep in the middle of the day. So I couldn't actually use that for just to estimate how long I was asleep. And because I didn't trust that, I didn't trust how much it was saying I had in deep sleep either. Um, so I didn't feel like I could do any of the experiments like to increase your deep sleep because, you know, oh, this, that's one of the things I was interested in doing. So I kind of gave up on those experiments and trying to optimize that. So like by having these biases, it kind of really limits the kinds of experiments and what you can do. If we're just trying to get a little bit more well, like say with the activity trackers, it's fine. You know, we just want to make sure we're moving the basis watch. And I'm sure every, loads of others you could point out would, would be OK for that. But if we want to actually kind of go to the next stage and optimize it to another level, to a more a higher level, a comp more competitive level and get more out of that performance, whatever that angle is, if it's sleep or, or running or whatever, it's not quite there yet. Or are there devices which you feel are there in certain areas, whether it's sleep or running or, or areas where you can really optimize pretty well and move to the next level? There are. And, and it's interesting. And I've really been wrestling with this a lot. I've looked at, you know, I've looked at and broken everything out there. So or, or bought and given it away. So I've tested pretty much everything I've ever written about. You can definitely get more data. And you just gave a great example in basis. And it's a bit my, my favorite whipping horse because they've got some weirdness in the way they develop the product. But essentially, they they tried to give these really advanced, what I'd call a QS level, sorry, quantified self level four type of graph. So a graph that's pretty complex and you'd expect a person to have a pretty deep understanding of visualization and data analytics in order for them to use it. But yet the whole watch was really aimed at kind of the couch to 5K, people who are walking and maybe cycling. Um, in fact, that's all it, it'll even track, actually. I self-identify activities. And then in the sleep arena, as you said, it had things like deep sleep, REM sleep, light sleep, and activity. But everybody I know who has one said, yeah, it always tells me I'm sleeping when I'm sitting at the opera, which is probably true, but that's not really, I don't really <laughs> want to. <laughs> I don't really want it showing that I'm sleeping at the opera, you know, or I'm watching TV or I'm sitting down to dinner. So it was trying to do automatic sleep categorization. So there, we're running into is this, it's really tough to build hardware and software it does auto sensing and auto identification of activity, whether that's sleep or running or cycling or anything else. So if you tease apart all these issues, what it really comes down to is as a vendor, these guys have to get together and say, well, who really is our user and what level are they at? What use case are they using it for? So are they a triathlete 
And if they're a triathlete, are they a one, two, three, four, or five? And in, in my view, now I know triathletes who don't use watches. I mean, they literally just have a Timex. They don't, they don't care about anything else. They don't use complex sport watches, let me say. So I'd call them almost a QS1, right? A quantified self-level one, but serious competitive triathlete. So you really have to get this kind of intersection of who is the user, how much data do they want, are we giving them enough data, and is it accurate data? And there, there's kind of just this really complex landscape out there, which you and I talked about. I mean, it's, it's, this is why people are so confused right now. Yeah, and your charts are amazing. It's amazing how many devices are there already. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of money going into this space. So what I guess is interesting is like if you take the basis example again, and I guess the Apple iWatch, which is coming out, applications like that, they're trying to give people at home a very generic tracker, right? Which is going to have a broad spectrum of things it's tracking. But it sounds like you're saying that just because the hardware isn't there yet in terms of actually getting data from us, that the software can't handle figuring out what we're up to in our time. If you're trying to track everything, like, are you asleep? Are you moving? What are you up to? All these kind of things. The actual hardware isn't accurate enough to be able to take that data and use some software to interpret it. But if, like you said, we focus on a narrow use case where the conditions, we understand them a lot more closely because it's just one area of use rather than trying to track someone's whole life, then that's working. And you can see that it's possible that we can get there at this time, even though we maybe the hardware is not quite there yet. Is that kind of your viewpoint or? Yeah, I, I think it's a reasonable summary, especially when we started with things like 3D accelerometers, right? They really don't do much. They just give you kind of uh, rotation in space and, and G-force and that sort of stuff. So it's it's pretty hard to extract really clean signal out of that and figure out what the heck is really going on. Is this person running or jogging or doing cycling or whatever? So that was the big issue is there just wasn't enough data or the sensors were even terrible and there wasn't there weren't enough of them. So then we've started to do things like a, a great example, I think, um, that I'm quite impressed by is Fitbit Surge, their new heart rate based one. And it's it has... GPS uh, for location. It has uh, heart rate, optical heart rate on the back, so it's it's shining the light into the skin in the tissue uh, just above the wrist there, and and reading your heart rate there, which is pretty challenging to do. They have a three D accelerometer, and they can use all of that combined. So the GPS will be shut down. It'll say you're not moving, or it'll actually just be shut off, and it'll say, well, heartbeat is low, and there's no motion in the body. And it's late at night. Okay, so it's starting to get easier and easier for them to to identify that you're going to sleep and to pick that pattern out or to just show that, hey, you're active. I can see you're moving. Your arm is moving. Your body's pumped up. And I've got a lot of very heavy heart rate, sustained heavy heart rate. You're probably doing something. Now, they don't try to self-identify, which I think was the right move. You can mark it and tell it, hey, I'm doing yoga or I'm doing a workout. So I think I think it's all trending the right direction. Great. So if you were like to point out on the landscape right now, what devices, what manufacturers are doing right and what needs work in specific areas, where's your like kind of your pet peeves and where's the areas you're like, yeah, it's doing a really good job there. I think my biggest pet peeve across the board is just not understanding your customer. It goes back to what I said minutes ago. Know who your customer is, know how they live and what the use cases are they're going to put the tool through. And then that really helps the vendor narrow down to, well, what features does it have to have? How rugged does it have to be? How much battery life does it have to have? 
And I think some folks who are doing a really good job right now are, uh, I've not been traditionally a fan of Fitbit. I, I know they're the 800-pound gorilla here in North America. Uh, I think they had 67% of the market share in 2013. I'm not sure that's a 14 number. But they've got a broad spectrum of products. So which devices do you see as being the most effective, the best buys right now, doing a really great job for users? So again, it depends on who you are, but I think there are some ones that are kind of standing out, moving left to right again and kind of uh, from ones to fives. So kind of lower left to upper right, if you keep that chart pictured in your head that we talked about earlier. So kind of, the, you know, the folks that just want to get a little more active than they were, they're looking to move a little more, track a little more. Uh, they're kind of ones and twos in terms of tracking, and they're not really, really hard on their their toys. Any of the new Fitbits, they've launched a whole new line. I think they're they're doing a pretty good job. Uh, they're number one for a reason. I think what's going to be interesting in that space is Jawbone. Uh, Jawbone, I lost and or broke and destroyed a bunch of them, and they were very good at customer service and kept sending me new ones. I like their apps. They've got a good partner network. They've got a new one coming out, the Up3, and they're actually integrating in some of the technology they bought from Body Media. And I know that people who have body medias, you can't pry them off their, their cold, dead bodies. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. They're really rapidly loyal fans. But that was the big one you'd strap on your arm, basically. And so a lot of people are really attached to that. And so they've taken some of that technology, like the bioimpedance kind of uh, sensors and things, and put it into the new Jawbone Up3. I haven't tested it, but I have a pretty high belief that they're going to, a strong belief rather, that they're going to do a pretty good job at that kind of low end of the activity tracker section. So it'll be interesting to see, and that should be out, I'm, I'm thinking March or April, I think. Great. So with those two devices, what kind of things do you think people could reasonably do? What kind of functionality, if people are thinking, you know, I want to just kind of know I'm doing more, how far do you think they can push those devices and get useful decision-making out of them, using them to optimize something? You really can't do a ton. I mean, they, they do basic activity tracking. They basically show you how active are you, what are your active parts of your day. They'll give you calorie data. It's totally inaccurate. So I wouldn't use that. I would use the steps as just an indicator like you and I talked about. Am I doing more or am I doing less? That's really what you want to look for is just look for trend day to day. They have, <clears throat> excuse me, the Fitbit has sleep tracking uh the low end of their stuff you still have to like push a button or mark it i think that's a non-starter that's not sustainable because people forget so as you move up into their new ones like their charge hr which stands for heart rate now and the surge hr which has a screen and also does heart rate now you're getting into more into the fitness tracker space so now you can track your day-to-day -day activity see trend and pattern you can actually auto sense your sleep or it will auto sense your sleep it doesn't give you very deep sleep data. It just shows you, are you restless or are you awake or are you asleep? It's really kind of three states, essentially. So if you're really a nerd like you or I, and you're like, wait a minute, I want to see my deep sleep and my light sleep and all that. It, it really doesn't do that. <laughs> uh, Jawbone actually has always done that, although they've only done it through the 3D accelerometer. So I've never really trusted that data. And with the inclusion of the new stuff, the new technology they bought from Body Media, I suspect they're going to start to be able to pick up because they can sample the heart rate through the night and do things like figure out your morning resting heart rate, which is a nice thing to know. So I think that's going to be an interesting entry in the kind of the higher end of that low end, if that makes sense, the activity trackers. And then as you get into the middle range, uh, I'd say fitness folks, 
who are doing a couple of sports, maybe they're dance or, or running or the odd bit of cycling, but nothing sort of ongoing. Then the Fitbit Surge HR, I sound like a Fitbit rep, which is funny because I've never been a big fan, but I think they're doing a good job and you can mark different sports and it's, it's pretty good. Actually, the accuracy is even surprisingly high when I cross-reference it to uh, some of the higher end tools I use. And then I think once you get in, and really it, to me, it's kind of one of the only successful ones in that middle of the road fitness tracker space. Garmin is releasing something called a Vivo Active, which will be squarely in that, that spot. So it's for running and cycling and swimming, but this is a key point, not for triathlon, because that's a whole other use case where you need to connect those sports together in a block, like a run and a transition, and a, or sorry, a swim and a transition and a bike and a transition and a run. That's a multi-segment kind of a sport thing, a multi-sport thing, which really you find at the high end. So I'd say in the fitness tracker stuff in the middle, you're looking at kind of the Fitbit Surge HR Maybe the Garmin Vivo Active. I have not tested it. I've I've seen it and I've used it and I, I find the touchscreen a bit finicky. And then maybe the Garmin FR620, which is their running watch, is pretty nice in that space. Clear bright screen, auto upload on Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. So literally you, you do your run and then that's it. It just synchronizes and it sends the data up, which I think for these things to be sustainable, all this stuff has to happen automatically. And you and I talked a lot about that. It's like how much overhead can we take away? Because we shouldn't be saying to the user, oh, you need to mark sleep. Oh, you need to do this. You need to do that. They've got enough, right. <laughs> they got enough on, right. on their plates. They don't want to adopt a baby. <laughs> it's not a Tamagotchi watch, right? So I think that uh, the more on the watch can do, the better. And then at the high end, definitely these days, I really lean towards the Garmin lineup. They released three new ones at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, which I was quite impressed with because I think they've done a very good job at understanding the, the use case. So they've got a 920XT for the triathletes and multi-sport folks, a Phoenix, which is kind of that plus the backcountry stuff, and then their Epics, which is all of that plus a great big screen with like high-resolution color maps on it stuff like that i think the phoenix and the 920 are the are the winners up there because they've got same thing auto upload on wi-fi and, and bluetooth and the, to me the big deal is data is it automatic is it easy to use is it automatic does the data go somewhere and can you get the data to other places does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely and there's different platforms like the basis is kind of like a like a closed one i know it's an island and so is sunto they're off in space timex is the same thing and anybody who's an island, it, it doesn't make any sense anymore because people people have something like I don't I'm making this number up, but they, it, crazy numbers of like twenty or thirty fitness apps on their phone, and they want all that stuff to connect. Yeah, and it's also the trust factor, I think, because with the basis, like you can't extract the information. So you're like, well, where do these numbers come from? So I think there's also that angle when you're when you're talking about people who are getting more involved in it, they can't take the data off it. They're wondering what the data is inside it and how it's calculated and, and things like that. So I know that's been a big frustration with basis users. Another interesting model is the Muse, like the, the Muse Calm. So that they have that EEG device where basically you have an open API and they're, they're bringing this hardware to market and anyone can connect to it, develop apps on it. Although no one seems to be doing that yet. So I'm wondering how that's going to go. Yeah, and I, I've talked to Muse. I have not used the Muse, uh, and the Emotive is another one, right? And any of these EEG things, essentially they're saying, for people who don't follow this stuff, it's something you put on your head. It's kind of this thing that looks like it's from the future. It has all these touch points on your skull, and it picks up your brain waves, brain wave patterns. 
And I think the big question I always have is to do what? What's the application? So I understand you have the hardware and I understand you have some kind of open API application programming interface, some way for me to get the data out. But ultimately, what am I doing with it? And I tested another one. I picked up one from um, Dave Asprey's Bulletproof site, which was a, a brain trainer, focus trainer, which is ostensibly teaches you to move more blood flow in the prefrontal cortex. I have it and I could actually do it. It's actually pretty cool because you can put this like little film on, you can fly over the mountains and you can actually control it with your brain, which is really cool for about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, but it was fun. I was I was at his Bulletproof Live yeah. conference, so I did it there and it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a nice, fast game, but it's, it's not integrating with your life, I guess. So it's, it's something like meditation you have to take time out for. Which I'm a huge fan of. I think meditation I do it, if not every day, every second day. And I know a lot of people, especially athletes, who are really, really find that critical piece of their training. But I don't think that these tools are necessarily getting you there. I think they're kind of uh, early attempts to say, hey, look at the pattern in your brain and you kind of go, great, what do I do with it? I don't know what to do with that information. Right, right. My personal experience from the muse so far, I'm using, I'm meditating every day. I'm using that. And I'm playing around with different things, different types of meditation, transcendental versus mindfulness and so on. And I have managed to like shift it. Basically, you have an index, right? You don't exactly know what that is. So that's a bit worrying to me because it's their index that they're giving you. Again, it's another made up number. Uh, rather than some standard that you can rely on more easily. So I think that's another another concern I have about a lot of these devices is some, some of the manufacturers, they come up with an index, which is one to 100, whatever it is. It's not based on any standard and you're left wondering, well, I hope it's doing what I want it to because otherwise I'm spending a lot of time meditating and hoping that I'm getting better. I might actually be getting worse. So I definitely want to dig more into what that data means and how it's calculated. Um, now I've spent enough time, I'm like, okay, I have, to, I have to get around to looking at this. So I think people have that concern at this stage too. And it's kind of this transparency thing again. Like if you can get the data, if you can just pull the data off and you can see exactly what it is, then it would give you that comfort factor. Well, so let's step through that though, back to the beginning of the conversation. A level one person, or I'll say in this case, a quantified self-level one person, they only want that number because they don't really know and don't want to know the complexity underneath the number. So I understand why the manufacturers do that, right? If you look at the sleep tools, they'll give you a score. Your sleep score was 85%. Now, Jawbone's sleep score is not the same as, let's say, Sleep Rate's sleep score or Sleepio's sleep score. Those are all different sleep scores, and they have different algorithms underneath. Some are transparent, some are not. But ultimately, the user just wants to know, hey, it was 85 yesterday, it's 90 today. I'm trending up. And that's a good thing. And they're good. That's, that's fine. As long as that's all they want, then they're already okay. But I think you and I, we're not ones, right? You're definitely not a one. You're a five. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're a five too. <laughs> I'm a five. You're a five. Don't start throwing fives around without admitting it yourself. <laughs> I'm throwing fives. So we're not that user. And so I think we need to be cognizant that a one doesn't want the level of data that you and I want. And that's okay right? Because that's, they're just in a different place. And it doesn't mean also that we're badass athlete and they're not like you can find world-class Olympic, maybe not Olympic level, but I'd say world-class athletes who are ones who are like, just give me my Timex watch. I don't want to know anything else. So I, I think that those are two separate dimensions. So to get to your point, yeah, a lot of people are doing these roll-up scores. In my mind, that's a thing you deliver to the users who are ones. 
And then if you're delivering the product to be also available to the twos, the quantified self-level twos, then you say, hey, here's your sleep score. It's 85%. Underneath that, what that means is you were in bed eight hours, but only six and a half of that you were sleeping and an hour and a half of that you were kind of tossing and turning. That's kind of a level two analysis, right? And a level three analysis would be, well, actually, you had deep sleep, light sleep, usually different phases. Uh, here's how many times you were interrupted. And maybe here's a recording of like you snoring or something like that. Like sleep rate does that, which is a bit creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and then a level four would be that plus all of that is trusted, absolutely clinically verified. And then a five would be, well, just give me the raw sensor data, put me in a lab and hook me up to 50 machines. Which I'm sure you do. <laughs> you five. I'm tempted. I'm tempted. I haven't done it as much as I wanted to yet. <laughs> I bet you. I bet you've been doing it for a long time. No, no. You know, I do. I do actually. Like, I will show up to something with three or four devices on me. And it's always. I was at a heart zone training session this last week, and I showed up with all these devices on my arms, and everyone's like, "Why do you have so many watches?" <laughs> <laughs> because I don't trust them. <laughs> exactly. I'm like I'm cross referencing them all. Which one do I trust today? Oh uh, yeah. So just out of interest, I mean, you were talking about labs and stuff. You've done VOT, VO2 max or any of these kinds of measures in that because you can go to i know you can go to fitness labs and stuff like that and do those kind of things yeah no surprise i would love to do more of that lab type testing in fact i'm actually doing one this week with a, a startup that's um kind of in stealth mode around um heart zone training and threshold analysis and stuff like that so yeah no i, I would love to do more of that i've done most of mine has been with these kind of consumer grade tools I'm really just just looking to see which one is the most accurate of the bunch because I'm not at the level yeah. with my own training and with my own coaches where I need to be within, let's say, for heart rate threshold analysis. I don't need to be within one beat. Like, it's not materially useful for my training. Right, right. For most of my stuff, I'm there. I'd say, like, the most critical thing I have is sleep. Right, <laughs> you right. Know? And uh, I'd, I'd really love to know exactly how many hours I'm sleeping. And it's more, for me, it's accountability. It's just like, if I get a little alarm and it's like, you only slept five hours the last two days, then... I'm going to act on it. That's the big thing. That'll change my life. Just just that little thing there. I think it would change everybody's life. I mean, uh, I fell into this rabbit hole. You and I both came to this from having health issues, right? And I was having sleep issues. That was my big thing at the time. And uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners kind of know your your backstory. So I came into it from the sleep angle of going, man, I'm, I'm not sleeping. And I'd like to improve that. Learned a lot from the biohacking community and, and you know the Bulletproof Executive and Ben Greenfield and all these guys. And I was like, okay, I need to you know, make the room black and I need to go to bed early and turn off my screens at night. All the stuff that we now know is good. Uh, what's the phrase for that? Sleep discipline or sleep something? Um, there's another word. Yeah, the sleep discipline is a good word for it because all of these things just take a little bit of effort to yeah to do them. Yeah, <laughs> that's all. Exactly. Once you got a routine and you're doing them, it's great. Right. And so coming into it, I think that everybody kind of vectors in on these things. Like, what is your one thing you're working on? And actually, that that's probably a good thing to talk about here, which is what is your one thing? What's the one thing you want to change the most? Do you want to increase your time or do a race and and just finish or do a race and be top ten or just sleep better? And that helps you kind of pick the universe of possibilities of things you might use as a tracker. Maybe you just pick the one thing that will help you get to that step, right? And then don't try and boil the ocean. Right, right. So you're saying don't just try to attempt to track everything or buy into because that's when I, when I got the basis, it was kind of like I, I wanted the, I thought like, cool, I'm going to have it all. 
Yeah. And then like, buying and I, I, like people buying I'm not picking on basis here. It's just the one I, I happened to jump onto, you know, like two, a couple of years back. So, you know, I had the most experience with it. Yeah. And he didn't do that. And the jawbone didn't do it. And the Fitbit, you know, not, and so on didn't do it at the time. So, so what you're saying is, is really good. It's just like decide that one thing. And that's going to decide what device you get. And you're going to get that value out of it if that's the most important thing to you, whatever you want to change. Right. And I think that that's a really good kind of object lesson for all of us. You know, I've been through all of these things. And so I ultimately, shiny object syndrome, I, oh, look, a new, a new thing. But ultimately, I always come back and think about, okay, now that I've tested it and I can talk to other people about it, that's fine. But for me, what am I working on next? And therefore, what is the right tool for me today? Uh, or this week. Well, cool. Let's let's talk about some quick case scenarios then, like and just just like the market where it is today. What would you do? Let's start with sleep. I mean, like if we're just trying to improve our sleep or get some accountability behind it, which device would you choose right now? And you think it would do the job? Given as would you think it would do the job, or you know you'd have to? Uh, yeah, the device I would. So I, I wouldn't even get a device. Actually, I just listened to Ben Greenfield's podcast that he did a long presentation and a bunch of Q&A that he did at SealFit Unbeatable Mind. I think you and I talked a little bit about SealFit, but he was down there for a, a conference and he's published the podcast and it's an excellent podcast. I highly recommend it. Cool. Is this on sleep or is it also oh, Q&A for the whole? Well, inside there, he has this whole how to biohack your whole life and he goes through like 4,000 things you can do. <laughs> and somebody at the end rightfully said, look, dude, my brain just exploded. How do I, how do, where do I start? And he kind of came to the same thing. He's like, look, pick one thing, pick one area you want to improve, pick one metric in that area and look for the right tool. So to kind of go back to your question, the right first device to fix your sleep is not a device. It's reading up on the basics of sleep, understanding what good sleep discipline is, uh, doing things like blacking out your room. So maybe the first device is a big hairy blanket that you hang over your window, right? That's probably the best device, the cheapest thing you can buy that's going to have the biggest impact. You're laughing about that, but that's exactly how I started. I just got a big right. hairy blanket and yeah. I guess, I'm guessing you did too, right? Yeah, I did. Actually, and my, no, my, uh, I was actually just, I'd come to visit my parents and I all of a sudden read this stuff. This is years ago. And I'm just like, I grabbed the blanket and put it up and they're like, what the hell are you doing? And, yeah. like, and they really didn't like it because it's just not done, I guess. Somebody somewhere I read was like, oh, uh, tinfoil is completely like, it doesn't pass any light through. So I completely tinfoiled my window and the very next day, the building manager came up and said, yeah, you need to take that down. You look like a crazy person. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, they don't like because some of these things, if you go this route, it's a pain to take down, right? So you just leave it up. You're like, well, I'm not in that room during the day anyway. Um, but other people aren't so exactly. Good, you know, so I think there's on. a lot of work and we don't need to go down that, that this is more about devices, but there's a lot of things you can do. I would say black out the room, put things like flux, f dot lux on your computer at night that dims the screen. There's a lot of stuff about not having blue light at night. This is all well documented at Ben Greenfield or Dave Asprey's Bulletproof podcast. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I have done because I didn't trust the basis data was I have this little tiny app which tracks all manner of things. It's just like a little tracker app. It's called Lumen Trails. Yeah. There's probably plenty of others like that. But for some reason, three years ago, when I started tracking a lot of stuff, that was the one out there. And it just allows you to put data in. And it just allows me to press a button which says I'm going to sleep. And then when I wake up, press it again. And you know, I'm awake. And then I know how long I've slept. So, you know, that's uh, that's really the most reliable measure I had. And I've got huge chunks of data, like months, where I was doing that. And I found that useful. Although it's not automatic, it's a pain. But at least it gave me some kind of register because I, I found that I really don't know uh, sometimes what time I, especially if I was tired when I went to sleep, I, I won't really remember what time I went to sleep and what time I'm waking up. 
unless I've actually got it written down somewhere. Right. And I think you, you just nailed it. I mean, you're a very quantified guy and it was still a pain. Oh yeah. And we need to get away from that stuff. This whole thing of you have to click a button. It doesn't matter how small that motion is. We have too much going on to make the users do that. So one of the things I do absolutely love about, uh, I'm coming back to be the PR dude for Fitbit here, <laughs> but I think the charge HR does this as well, but I know the Fitbit surge HR does this. It just automatically figures it out. And unlike basis, which would say I slept five blocks of 30 minutes, it was just insane. Like the Fitbit surge actually does a really good job of saying you went to bed now and you got up then and it was eight hours and you were actually asleep for six and a half. It doesn't give you any depth below that. So it's kind of a quantified self level two kind of an answer, eight hours with six and a half real sleep inside there. And there's no phases or anything else, but it's automatic. I don't have to think about it. So I'm, I'm quite willing to make that trade-off because I could get more data, but then I have to think about it and I don't want to think about it. Yeah. I have enough tools in my life. And for 99% of people, that data is going to be actionable. That's going to tell them what they Absolutely. Need. Because you can look at it and see, oh, well, gee, I got four hours, four hours, four hours, four hours. And actually, the, the way it displays, I have to congratulate whoever did this. They only display your actual sleep time. And so it's been showing me things like three and a half hours. Like I'll be in bed for five or six or something. It'll say three and a half. And I'm like, what do you mean three and a half? <laughs> because it's showing the actual time that I'm not moving. And I'm really, really, really dead to the world. So I have to laugh about that. So I think finding a basic device like that is good. But something that's automatic, I think, is, is also helpful. If you've got real sleep issues, I mean, sleep is a really critical issue, and we are all, as a population, lacking in good quality sleep. I think this is worth investing time and energy and, and focus on because it improves everything. It fixes hormonal issues and weight loss and right. mood and, and you know just a million things. In my book, it's foundational. So I think it's the place everybody should start. Yeah, yeah, sleep and meditation, I, I think, are the two things I want to get done every day. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, if, if you've got your list of tasks, we're always thinking about these huge lists of tasks. But I've really tried to start putting these two things at the top. I'm like, okay, if I don't do anything else, at least I slept and I did my meditation. Yeah, and I think that if, if more people prioritize that, so I, down at SealFit Unbeatable Mind, there was a really great uh, fellow there, Dr. Kurt Parsley, he's a sleep clinician for Navy SEALs. And he said, my biggest challenge is, well, A, they don't sleep that much because they're training all the time. And B, I have a hard time in getting their heads around the fact that sleep is fundamental and foundational to everything they do. And that lesson is not just for them, it's for all of us. So you, so you fixed your sleep. What did you find the main things were that you do and, and worked for you, just since that's something you worked on a lot? Yeah, the big things were uh, literally I had to make changes at work. So I had a very, very great team uh, that I was working with at the time. And I said, look, this is, these are all the things that are going on. We need to shift some stuff. So there were work changes, darkening the room, putting timers on my, on my phone that would alert me to say, hey, it's nine o'clock, you know, start winding down. One of the big things that I did, which is really has made a huge, huge material difference, is as soon as the Philips Hue lighting came out where you could change all the bulbs and kind of control them from your phone, I put timers on them and back to the whole don't have blue light at night thing. I basically set the entire house so that the whole thing dims from kind of normal lighting. Oh, nice. To deep submarine red lighting. It feels like I'm in like the Hunt for Red October movie or something. <laughs> it feels like I'm in a submarine. But the whole house dims to basically 10% deep red by 9 o'clock. And so really, that's, really, that's really it's nice. fantastic. And it kind of sends this signal. Yeah. But I bought some Amazon lights and I was doing that myself. 
at one point, but it, depending on my location, hasn't been convenient. But to have it set up at your home, like an automatic, that's really amazing. And like you say, if, if it's done automatically, it's going to happen. Because for a while I was doing it manually. I would turn certain lights off or I would do various things. And I went, again, back to the overhead. I don't want to think about this. I have enough going on in my life. And we all do. Well, right. Because you say you're reorganizing your work. I'd just be interested to that because we're basically talking about stress load here. And for me, I've been subscribing to the fact that if you have too many things in your head, we're talking about adding things in terms of, I got to track this, I got to track that. That's not going to be an easy way forward for us because it's just too much. We already have too many items basically in our head. So I don't know if you did this for your work, but for my work, I've been hiring a lot more people and systematizing a lot of stuff and basically knocking things off my table. So just even if I've still got, I'm still working the the 40, 50, 60, whatever hours, (laughs) at least I'm only working on four things. And I find that helps tremendously with, I think it helps with sleep and just general stress levels in general. I don't know if you've, you've seen something similar. It does. I think you've nailed it. And I think that this is all very self-reinforcing and, and all everything's connected to everything. So your sleep supports your work and your work impacts your sleep. And this, we could talk for days on this subject. So I think there are basic things that I did. So it's hard to actually see the uh, quantitative impact in your sleep, I guess. I don't know if you were able to see that or you just feel better. You were able to see more hours slept or was there anything like you were able to see that had changed? No, absolutely. I went from two hours of you know near panic attack sleep to, to uh, eight, uh, nine hours of solid sleep. And it took probably a year to, to make that change. Great. That something, I didn't have it as serious as you. I mean, there was some nights I was getting free. I was waking up at like four o'clock in the morning and there was nothing I could do about it. I'd go to bed at 12 and I'd wake up at four every day. I'd start working in the dark. <laughs> like I lived in Mexico at the time. So I was looking down at the, like, the sunrise on the beach. Nice. And it was amazing. But my girlfriend wasn't a huge fan of me waking her up at four o'clock in the morning when I left bed and stuff. Um, So for me, gradually the hours increased. And then I think this is kind of funny. I was tracking it for a long time. I stopped tracking and then I kind of knew it was fixed because I I wasn't concerned about it anymore because now I'm sleeping seven or eight or nine hours consistently and it doesn't feel like a problem for me anymore. And so I haven't tracked it for maybe six months. And that's a really good point. You had an issue of, you know, amongst all the other issues that you were working on. And then when you got to a point where you're like, hey, this isn't really a problem anymore. I don't need the extra overhead and headache of waking up, finding my phone, clicking this button, doing these things, tracking these numbers. You don't care at that point. You're not working on it anymore. And that's why it's kind of like peeling the onion, right? Pick the one biggest thing, the one biggest boulder, and pick one thing you can do about it and start there. And it's not necessarily going to be the same thing that you're going to be doing for the next year. Maybe you'll work on it for three months, you'll fix it, and then you'll be like, okay, what's next? And Hopefully you don't have to buy a new device, um, depending on your budget. Uh, let's talk quickly about budget, actually. I'm guessing the Garmin's are some of, some of the more expensive ones. I haven't looked at the prices myself, but what do you think of the pricing at the moment? Is it, for the things I'm buying, it's relatively accessible, I think. They're normally under, they're around 100 bucks or 150 bucks tops, I think, most things. There's such a huge range. Um, actually, before we jump to there, I'll come right back. But before we leave the sleep subject, uh, just so we can wrap up on the devices, there are a lot of devices, kind of ultimately after you get through figuring out what you want to do and fix there, there are a bunch of devices, as you know, that will t- help you track sleep. That could be as simple as sleep cycle on your phone. I'm not a fan of that unless you put your phone in airplane mode because you've got this EMF thing blasting out 100 meters of Wi-Fi right beside you. Right, right, right. Absolutely. But even so, I didn't trust. Did you trust the data on that? Because I used it for a little bit. And then I was like, oh. uh, no, I didn't really think the data was any good because it's too hard to pick it up from the accelerometer on the phone. And it's sitting there beside you. It's, it seems like a bit of a dorky way to do it. But again, if it's 
better than it was yesterday. It's consistently probably inaccurate, right? Back to our beginning conversation. Right. And if you've got a, it's a couple of dollars, that app, I think, or is it free? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a cheap way to sort of get your, get your toes in the water. And then going up a step from there, you could look at some of these low-end Fitbit and, or equivalent things that kind of you can clip on or whatever. Anything like Withings had one, which was really dorky. You'd have to find the sleeve and stick this thing in the sleeve and put the sleeve on and the sleeve would fall off. Like it was ridiculous. Like it was totally unsustainable. So I think anything that's just really easy that you can put on and hopefully only have to push one button and hopefully you don't even have to push that button in the morning. That's kind of a better case. The best case is you're always wearing it and it just automatically knows you've gone to bed and it automatically knows you've gone up, gotten up. So if and when you go to check the data, the data is already there. You didn't think about it. So if you looked at the Bedit and there's a, the Philips one as well, where they basically got things placed on the mattress. Yeah, the Bedit comes in multiple versions. The Bedit V1 uh, was the one, uh, it actually came in two versions, Consumer and a Pro, uh, version one. It was Bluetooth legacy, so it was a huge headache. So the process in, in very briefly was go find your phone, turn on the phone, open it up, open the app, connect to the sensor, sit there and wait for it to connect to the sensor. Eventually it would connect and you'd select the sensor and then you'd open the app and then you'd go through these questions. And I was just, I wanted to throw my phone out the window. I was so stressed <laughs> trying to go to bed every night and I, I hated it. And everybody I know who used it stopped using it. And Dave Asprey was always saying, oh, I love my bed. And I couldn't figure out why. So I went and talked to Lassa Holstrom, who's the founder. And he said, oh, he's got the pro version. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> but anyway, they actually did fix. Apparently, they, they went to Bluetooth, a BLE, Bluetooth Low Energy, and kind of cleaned that all up so it's like automatically connects to the sensor. So literally all you do is open the app, it auto connects, and you just say, hey, I'm going to bed. So just to clarify, is that Bluetooth running all night? It is, and that's Bluetooth Low Energy, and the transmitter is kind of hanging off the edge of your bed, but uh, there's a great podcast Ben Greenfield did about this one as well recently, too. And these things are not labeled or marked, and so for folks who are really EMF wary, which uh, I'm becoming more so these days, I'm not a huge fan of that, frankly. And so I haven't used the version two, uh, which is the one they did in partnership with Misfit. And uh, from what I heard from the founder, they were doing the right things for V2. Uh, ultimately, I tossed it in a box and got rid of it. I've tried the S Plus by ResMed, which bought some of the IP from Zio. And it's, I think, actually a downstream of Philips. I think it's somehow tied into the Philips Corp. And they, it's this contactless thing that sits there at the edge of your bed and bounces these 10 gigahertz signals off your body and uses an echolocation to try and figure out your, your chest respiration from your chest. I didn't trust that data at all. They say they've got research data that says it's as, as good as a 3D accelerometer, which is not saying much. But what you said about it bouncing waves, is it, so it's bouncing waves off you all night? Yeah, it's basically just sitting there blasting EMF at you all night long which seems like a bad idea. That seems like a really bad especially for sleep. I mean, if you want to have good sleep, I'm not sure that's the best idea. Yeah, of course, in my building, I have 20 visible Wi-Fi access points blasting out full bore, 100, 100 meter, you know, 2.4 gigs. So I'm kind of swamped in here anyway. So I wasn't keen on it, sent that one back. And then Withings got so slammed by people who hated their product, their CEO actually apologized for how terrible the product was. So I don't think there's much there. And then um, MFIT is one I saw at CES, and it looks interesting. It's a very heavy, heavy strip, which sits underneath, not on top of the, the top mattress, but kind of in between the top and the, the second mattress, and scans you through the bed. Again, it's, it's doing some kind of signal 
through the bed. And this is the problem. Is everything is like, hey, let's swarm you in EMF and try and pull this data in broadcast from you. And I think we're going to be paying the price on that one at some point. I'm not sure. Yeah. There don't seem to be many manufacturers who are concerned about that. No, you know, about... they're too busy in the heyday of wearables. I guess we're kind of ahead of the curve thinking about EMF. Most people don't, aren't concerned about EMF. Most people you talk to don't even realize there's, there's, there's a problem. Although there's some like some books which are kind of push it like Four Hour Body from Tim Ferriss. You know, he talks about the uh, the phone waves and keeping them away from your balls and stuff. But it's little things like that. I mean, ever since I read that, I uh, that's the rule I had. I have I've had my phone switched off most of the time. But it's just like we don't know where it's going. So um, that's why there's all these devices out there, and a lot of them have these. And and it's the one thing that makes me resistant to play with all of the devices. Yeah. Because it's just kind of an overload. Yeah, and you're you just like like maybe in ten years this is not is this going to be something that I wish I hadn't pursued <laughs> so mean when so you're intensely. Your third arm out of your forehead, you're <laughs> wondering and saying, "Well, how did that happen?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think you know to wrap this thing up on devices, there are a few different things that I would say: easy, lightweight, relatively inexpensive. I would look at the Fitbits. It's not deep data, but it's okay. I would look at the Jawbone Up Twenty Four or the Jawbone Up Three, which is the new one coming out in a month or two. And I think that those are reasonably good. I think the Jawbone actually will, does now and will have better sleep tracking with more data in it if you're more nerdy. And that could be an interesting one. And uh, those are really good bets for now. Um, And then actually, I think the coolest thing I've seen in the sleep space, and I'm using it, I'm actually using their program right now, is a little thing called Sleepio, which is a sleep coaching tool, sleepio.com. And they're in the UK And I can't believe how well done it is, but essentially they've got this little animated British professor (laughs) who walks you through that, like all the complexities of sleep and what your specific issues are. And they've got this incredibly deep, rich branching logic in behind this thing. So if you say, well, my biggest goal is this and my biggest fear is that, and my biggest issue is whatever, then that, that builds the curriculum from there. And every week it pulls in your Fitbit or your Jawbone data, and then it reviews it with you and says, here's what we learned. Here's what we were working on. Here's what you're going to work on next week. And it kind of walks you through and it even, it even asks you up front to, he goes, I will make a commitment to you that I will only give you advice based on these 30 years of scientific research. Like we're not going to pull this out of our ass, you know, is what he's kind of committing. And he says, you need to commit that you will do your best to stick to this program because change is hard and changing sleep habits is hard. And I thought that was a really interesting addition. So it's not a wearable device, but it works with wearable devices. Great, right? That's the more intelligent side um, that definitely we're going to see more of that. So what do you think is going to happen over the next five or 10 years? Because that seems kind of like one of the endpoints where you've got this near artificial intelligence, basically like walking you through step by step and fixing your problem for you. Yeah, I think that's an early indicator of kind of the direction we're going. I mean, the stuff that you and I have had to go through just to figure out, A, to figure out what we were asking, and then B, how to collect the data. C, how to make sense of it or rationalize it or normalize it. That, that was really hard for us because we started so early. And then D, what does it mean? Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you look at all the charts <laughs> and graphs, well, am I learning anything or not? How many thousands of hours have you spent looking at graphs going, I have no idea what that means? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, fess up. <laughs> no, I have. I've even I've, you can Google a presentation of me showing people it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I actually have had people call me on that. They're like, that's a pretty graph. What does it mean? I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's been a lot of work for us to figure that out. And yet ultimately, I'll speak for myself. I have gotten to a point where I've been able to, to say, okay, I know what the data means. I know what this is telling me. I know what these trends and patterns are. I can compare this to my goals and I can see I'm either moving towards or away from my goals. But boy, that was a lot of work. And so that's why I was so impressed with Sleepio that they would come right out up front and say, what you're trying to do is you're not alone. A lot of people have these sleep problems. It's also kind of hard. So get ready to dig in and do the work. And we're going to walk you through it. And it was very much, it's not artificial intelligence, but it's a really, really well done branching logic. Right, right. It's pretty amazing it's done that. Like, like as you said, like actually a lot of the kind of hacks, we'll call them hacks, hacks to fix sleep, hacks to improve different things. They're just kind of still appearing and we're just st- still kind of getting to the grips of the science and a lot of things. This is why like we have this show, right? Because we, we can focus on data, try to get more data behind things so that we're acting, making decisions that are good versus we don't know. It's just opinion because we see a lot of opinion out there when it comes to fitness, health and all of these kind of areas. So I think that's part of the challenge with that. Before we can get there, we need to have accumulated a lot of data and people really need to know for sure, ah, this is definitely, when you do this, it equals this. But it sounds like they've got a, a really good job. And yeah, there is, do you know where they got the, the actions, basically the, the, the things that they're recommending from? No, I was going to dig into it. And I thought, actually, I'll just try a week or two and just kind of walk through their process to see how, how that's handled. And I'm, I'm so impressed that now at this point, I have to kind of go back and dig into what is their, what is their evidence? What's their peer reviewing? kind of research yeah excellent well i'm in london i might reach out to them thanks for bringing it up yeah actually i would definitely do it they would be worth having on the show i think and i think to answer your question where where do we go i had this really interesting conversation with a friend of mine a colleague from my old industry which is business intelligence as well as some military intelligence analysts and i said you know it seems like we've already seen this movie we already know how to get from data to actionable intelligence to smart guidance to say oh given you're trying to do x the data says you should do blah. And we already know what that sort of data supply chain looks like. Like, how do you get the data, clean the data, analyze the data, run it through some kind of mental model or framework, and then that outputs this answer, which says you should do X. And then you do X, and then you run through the whole process again, and you sort of go, did that that work or not? And where we are, we're just really immature, right? We're way back at step one, where we're collecting a huge pile of data, and we're providing some pretty charts and graphs. They're not that useful. And we're providing a chart or a graph or five charts or graphs for one sensor. What you really want is just this nice, blended, normalized view of all of your data on one time base where you can just look at it and see almost like those old biorhythm charts, if you remember those things. It's like your mood is doing this and your sleep is doing that and your food intake is doing something else and your workload from your training is doing something else. And you can kind of see the patterns and do kind of eyeball correlation. Like, gee, when I sleep really short, my productivity sucks the next day or whatever, my mood sucks the next day. We're just early in that process, I think. So we're going to go through a maturation. What I'm hoping is, I'm giving a talk on this at IoT World, I think, here in San Francisco soon. What I'm hoping is we can take those lessons from the other industries. And instead of taking 30 years to get to the point where we can take data and turn it into actionable intelligence, maybe we can compress that to 10. I don't know. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's already been done so well. When I think about my corporate training, it's, it was like, all analytics has been the big thing for a while. And when I was in management consulting and strategy consulting, and a big thing was that was like, when you're trying to roll it out, it was like, what's the KPI, the key 
performance indicator, which is this one number which you're trying to like bundle a whole bunch of stuff into. And then you had the balance, the scored cards. So people might have heard of those. Those are, you know, another nice way to look at data and make it more useful. So you're right. It's just about applying all of these models that we already have and had so much work. I mean, literally a decade's been spent on those things. Yeah, I think we know that stuff. We just need to bring it across, import it from those other industries. And hopefully we can do that, you know, not take the same 30 years. At some point. So um, where should someone look to learn more? Because you've got all these great charts and everything on your blog. So if someone wants to kind of see the map of the whole of wearables devices in 2015, those charts are awesome. So where do they go to get those? Uh, So I think the easiest place, I don't have a short URL for that. I'll just give you the website and I'll spell it out for everybody since it is uh, a French complicated name, but it's www. Uh, so www.troyangrinon.com. That's my full name, Troy Angrinon. Uh, there's a wearable section, a health and fitness section, a market map section, and they, they kind of just different views into all the different blog posts. So I would say that's probably the best place to go. Uh, everything I write and uh, all my speaking and stuff that I do is uh, always posted there as well. Excellent. And we'll put the show, we'll put direct links to all, all the charts and stuff in the show notes as well. So people oh, yeah, can that's find, a great idea. Yeah. Find them easily. Excellent. Yeah. 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 Perfect. <laughs> but I thought it was a French name. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I can only swear. Are there, are there other people? <laughs> do you speak any French? Just, yeah, just swear um, words. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, besides yourself, are there other people you look to and you learn from in this whole wearable tech area, which are really kind of on top of it? Yeah. So Ray at DC Rainmaker, anybody who's been doing any sports and used any sport device ever (laughs) owes Ray a huge debt of gratitude. He has a site called DCRainmaker.com. You looked at my charts and we were laughing. I said it. I felt like Russell Crowe from Beautiful Mind sitting there in my garage, right. <laughs> connecting things with strings, right? Because everyone looks at this thing and goes, is that in your brain? <laughs> He's even more extreme. So he'll do these reviews that are longer and better than any other review on the planet. But he'll preface it by saying, this is just a brief look. I'll do my full review later. Like It just makes me laugh. And then his real reviews are like 30 pages deep of every screen and unboxing and just it's un- insanely deep. So I've learned a ton from Ray. I owe him a huge debt of gratitude for uh, just kind of getting me up to speed over the last couple of years. I would say he's the leader. Uh, he, he knows so much about the industry. He gives great presentations at the Ant Plus Forum each year, and you can often Google those and find those presentations. And I get a kick out of them because he always starts, his first slide is, why should you listen to me? And it says, my site is now responsible for something like $900 million of purchasing decisions. (laughs) (laughs) And he's not making it up. And that's just, this isn't even his day job. This is his side thing he does for fun. So I would definitely point at him. Uh, The biohacking stuff, you and I are already pretty big fans, I think, of, you know, folks like Ben Greenfield or Dave Asprey, uh, lots of folks in in their camp. So those are probably the, the biggest ones I can think of. Great, great. Thanks very much. And now for you, what are you focused on in, in terms of data metrics for your own life on a routine basis? Is there anything, or maybe you're doing a little project at the moment, but is there, are there things that you track on a routine basis and pay attention to? Yeah, the biggest one is, I mean, aside from just wearing four devices all the time and cross-referencing them. So the data I'm looking for is how good is the data? That's a different thing. Personally, 
The things I track day to day are my sleep. So I can go visit my little British uh, sleep prof over at Sleepio and he can berate me for how little sleep I'm getting and my daily workouts. So all that stuff is just, I throw a heart rate strap on. I put my Garmin 920 XT on, which I, I love go do my workouts, come back in, save it, it uploads. So all that stuff it goes into Garmin. So which actual markers do you look at? Or do you scan them all or are the ones you pay attention to more? Do you look at HRV, for instance? or Yes, HRV. Yeah. So HRV, so heart rate variability, uh, which we're not going to go into here, obviously, but uh, just a, a, it's an indicator of how overtrained you are. So I think my biggest ones are really sleep, activity level through my workouts, and recovery level and the HRV and something I use called RestWise, RestWise.com. I use RestWise, HRV, morning heart rate, and just my own intuition to kind of assess how am I feeling? Am I over and you know, muscle soreness and things like that? Am I overtraining? Do I need to back off or not? So really, I mean, this is to me, this has been a real big a really big issue, which is we can all see the forest. We can't see, we can see the trees. We can't see the forest. And so really ultimately at the end of the day, I want to train as hard as I can going up the curve towards some events I have planned, but I also don't want to overtrain and then incur risk of injury. And I think we talked a lot about that in our, our one-to-one call. And so I think that it's really, for me, it's sleep, it's recovery, it's nutrition, and it's training load and stress load, which is just kind of an ambient awareness, obviously. All right, great, great. And I guess I guess with the sleep, it's what we were talking about. You just kind of keeping an eye on the number of hours you slept. That's a really interesting thing. I used to be very focused on deep and light and whatever else. And one of the pieces of education I got, interestingly, from Sleepio is they said, look, we've done this 30 years. We realized that ultimately all that matters, it, the phases inside don't matter, which was kind of a bit of a surprise to me, frankly. And they said, what really, really, really matters is of the eight hours or six hours, whatever, of the X hours you spend in bed, what percentage of that time were you asleep? The phases inside that really aren't material. Now, I think that that's a different case if you know, you're self-medicating yourself to sleep and you're not getting the phases and things like that, but that's not an issue. So I think, um, yeah, so I'm just using Fitbit and it's going into Sleepio and it's giving me a record and it's giving me an efficiency score. And that efficiency score is pretty low. It's like 65%. So I'm spending 30, 30 to 35% of my sleep time apparently rolling around. Yeah, I'm, I don't remember my numbers anyway. The basis, mine were lower. Uh, but I don't know, these devices, might that might be average for that device, right? But I think you really do need, it's definitely nice having the, the both the accelerometer and the heart rate in there to cross-reference that data to get the slightly more accurate sleep analysis. And uh, final question. Thank you so much for your time today, Troy. What would be your number one recommendation to someone who's trying to use some form of data to make their lives better, basically decisions on their body's health, performance, longevity? I think the number one is really just know what you're trying to do first. What is, we kind of talked about it in this call. What is the one thing that would make a real difference to you? And then what is the one kind of goal you have set there? So is it your sleep or is it whatever? It doesn't matter. Pick one. Pick that one thing and then do one thing in that arena and track one thing that's material that makes a difference. Like for sleep, you want to just track number of hours and percentage of time you're in bed that, that you're actually asleep. That's huge. So have a goal and then track something that's material that makes sense with in relation to that goal. I've seen too many people tracking way too much data that's not material, that's not useful, that doesn't lead to change. I had a conversation with somebody who literally, I kid you not, 
tracked every meal for three years but didn't lose a pound until they changed their diet because they were eating crappy food. And so they changed their diet and suddenly started shedding the weight because they got more information, which was, I mean, the information after, after three weeks of not making a change, it should have been what I'm doing isn't working. So I guess that's maybe the second follow-on point I'd make. Use the number, test the metric. If it's not showing up, try something new. Absolutely. Keep it simple. Yeah. And if the change you're looking for is not happening, you're probably not changing. Yeah. You have to give it a bit of time or I don't know, a week, two weeks, depending on what yeah, it is. Give it more you know. than, yeah. Yeah. For and, sure. and then adjust for sure. for sure. Well, Troy, thank you so much for your time. This has been a great discussion. I mean, we've pretty much looked at the whole landscape today. So thank you so much for your time. Damien, it's been great. Yeah. To get more of The Quantified Body, subscribe on iTunes or go to the website verquantifiedbody.net. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-N-T-I-F-I-E-D-B-O-D-Y dot N-E-T. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we are at twitter.com slash quantifiedbody. And on Facebook, we are at facebook.com forward slash quantifiedbodypodcast. If you've got feedback or requests for the show, you can email them to me at damien at thequantifiedbody.net. That's D-A-M-I-E-N at thequantifiedbody.net. Thanks for joining the show this week. See you next time.